For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Really been looking forward to this hour for a long time. It's something I've wanted to do. I've got huge respect for my guest. And I tell you what, he has been at the forefront of a tele- television revolution in the 1990s and that was us as viewers, as watchers of sport going from government-run Television 1, Television 2, to seeing Sky Television come into the marketplace. He has been the face of Sky TV now for 30-odd years, 32 years. Like a lot of broadcasters, at times you can love them, you can hate them. They divide opinion. But I can say this genuinely. My guest is a good man, a good guy, and one hell of a broadcaster. His name is Stephen McIver. Stephen, good afternoon. Welcome. Happy Easter or happy belated Easter, do we say? Because it's sort of, this is Easter Monday or is it Easter? It is Easter Monday indeed. Happy yeah, Easter. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the song too. It's a, it's a fave of mine. It's a fave of mine. It was my mantra. Oh, I remember years ago we did a wee show on radio sport called The Big Show and I think you told me that and I've never <laughs> forgotten it. <laughs> yeah. Well, every time I used to drive up to Mount Smart Stadium, I, I, you know, I, I, that would be my mantra to get me going, you know, let me entertain you because that's what, that's what our job is, to entertain as, as broadcasters. It's, oh. it's always about getting you from A to B to C because we're not the experts, right? If we, if we ever think we're the experts, then we're in trouble. You grew up in Patararu. Patararu, the mighty down Patararu. The, people down on the South Island, that sort of um, southeast <laughs> of Hamilton, sort of between... Uh, <laughs> Just do it like this, Mark. You go Hamilton, Cambridge, Tiro, Putararu, Tukurua. You forgot, you forgot Matter Matter. Yeah. No, no, because that's off. That's not on the main trunk. Okay. So you're, right. on the, you're on the main, you're on yeah. State Highway 1. So that's where it comes, yeah. Describe life as a young man growing up in Patararu. Oh. There's not much in Patararu to be no, fair, No, no, but it was a thriving... It was a thriving um, Country town. It was a thriving country town and a timber town with two timber uh, companies. There was TTT and then there was uh, PTY Industries. My father was an accountant um, for PTY Industries. So I just grew up there. I had uh, two brothers. I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, They were all the sporty ones, uh, not me. And um, I was the late arrival, as my mother said. You were the late ones. Thank, thanks for that. Um, and it was lovely. It was about community. It was about a small town community. The school was big, Putaradu High School, which is now called uh, Putaradu College. It was it was big there, you know. And uh, and I should just say, Wayne Smith came out yeah, of Putaradu. Yeah, my brother played first. Kevin, my brother played first fifteen with Wayne. Uh, Kevin was a lock who loved to drop a shoulder and knock out knock knock, knock opponents over. And Wayne was the silky smooth five uh, eight. So, what are your memories of your childhood? The memories of my childhood are more recent. Playing tennis with my good friend Kevin Gray. His parents had a farm, or still have it, he's still on the farm, uh, and they had a grass tennis court. And it was summers, summers, picking up hay to make money, mowing lawns for my father's company, supposed gardener, yeah, pull, pull out weeds, mow lawns, scrap money, blew it, and, and playing tennis till it's dark with no lights. Uh, was a trip to Hamilton and Auckland considered to be a trip to the big smoke? Auckland was. Yep. Auckland was, yeah, I remember years and years ago. And what friend. was the novelty of Auckland? Going to the Civic Cinema, going to the Civic to watch a movie. Um, yeah, I remember vividly going in my friend Tim Morgan's uh, mum's Corolla and going up and seeing um, 
Paul Newman, uh, the cowboy movie. I've forgotten it already. You know the one. Anyway, yeah, I remember that vividly. It was and and the farmer's store, which is now the Heritage Hotel, and they used and they used to have and up, um, up the top, up top they had that food they, hall. They, they, well, they had the playground, yeah, and the big elephant up there and things like that. So that was that was the big thing. And and summers we used to summer at uh, Browns Bay. You said that you weren't. That sporting yourself, no, but no. did you have an interest in sport? Oh, well, I played like you know. In my last year was my big year. That was the big year, mate. You know, so captain of the hockey team, yeah, won the uh, the local championship. Captain the athletics team, ran like a baby elephant, according to my coach. Aha, uh-huh. and and I played football. I played football as a, as a young kid for Petardu Gold. So uh, that was yeah. So it was it was part it was part of my life, but it certainly wasn't something I aspired to do. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I remember speaking with you too, growing up, and maybe in your teenage years and those. In Formative years, you're sort of thinking about that. You perhaps wouldn't mind getting into acting and being an actor. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the guy. My brother Michael's a lawyer. It was either lawyering or a lawyer, being a lawyer or acting. I, I thought that was that was I want well, that that you know that's what, what you want to do. What tweaked that interest to be an actor though? Don't know. I just I just love movies. I just love watching movies, uh, and, I, and you idolise you idolise sort of certain actors. I don't really have a, a, one actor or actress that I idolise, but I just wanted to do that. That was me. I liked being on stage. You know. And did you do some theatre? Oh, oh, amateur theatre, yeah, and also at school. And my father, who what, was... What did you do at school? What was the production oh, at school, God. Stephen? You know it. I don't. You know I it. You might be... Um, oh, I can't remember it, Mark. You probably can remind me. I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember. I actually can't remember. I did, but we did one. My father, my father was an amateur drummer, uh, theater, uh, actor, and the biggest, the biggest, the best thing he ever did was in my last year at school. He came down and sort of um, produced the show. It was really cool. I cannot remember what it was. I cannot remember. But hey, it was good, good times, right? Good times. Did you, like a lot of people growing up in small towns, you either embrace it or you sort of have, um, I, I guess, a desire to maybe get out of the small town, no, get into never, the big smoke? Never thought of that. It all came, it all came about after that, that final show, like the, the final year of doing acting when the local radio station, Radio Forestland 1413 in uh, Tokoroa, um, invited us over to talk about the, the school show, you know, local radio station, you know, 10 minutes from uh, Putaru. And after that interview, I was asked, what would you like to do? I said, I've got no idea. Would you like to be a copywriter, take a copywriter test, failed? Would you like to be a DJ? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and that... Is where the, uh, the cliche coming. That's where it all began. Yeah, I mean, you've got a very, very good broadcasting voice. It you, helps. It helps. You have an outstanding voice. Was that something that you'd recognised, or does someone identify no, that yeah, for some, you? Someone else. Mate, I was, I'm, you know, you're a 17 year old wannabe at that point, right? No, I had no idea. No idea. And they have recognised that. So in my final year at school, I was doing part time on Radio Forestland, thinking I was, I was, uh, you know, daddy cool. When did the big break come? Uh, when the, well, the break in the sense of what first career or second career? Well, I, I guess where you sort of um, oh, become well, a little bit more mainstream, Stephen, if I can use that. Well, term. I don't know. I don't, yeah. Well, gosh. Okay. So you you get a you get a, a letter from the radio, the old radio New Zealand, which is now uh, NZ Me as it's known nowadays, and you say we want you to be a, a, an announcer cadet. So you go to Wellington for six months, learn how to do everything properly, and even back then, I think this is a really cool. So thing. how old were you then? 17. 17, wow. Yeah, no, really immature 17, yeah. trust me. And uh, went down there, learnt the ropes. And, you know, you had to pronounce Māori properly too, which I thought was really right back then. We're yep. talking early 80s, by yep. the way. And um, 
went on my journey, went around all, this, all, the, um, all the community stations. I did all the lands. I did Lakeland, Forestland, Scenic Land. My last one was Hamilton, and then I, then I ended up at Sky, per chance, by working for someone who ended up at Sky for the, when, before they opened. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's a wonderful medium, isn't it, Radio? When you do look back on your broadcasting career, which has predominantly been, and most people perceive mm-hmm. you as mainly in television, yeah. how important, though, it was radio everything. in regards to setting everything for one reason. For one reason only: learning to talk, learning to ad lib, not having to reco- not having to rely on an auto cue, which I rarely use to this day. Um, so uh, that one, yeah. Uh, and mum and dad were one hundred percent behind you on oh, this. Oh yeah, just, any any parents wants to see a child uh, do what they want to do. It's what I wanted to do. I thought that was it, and I thought radio was it until telephone came along in eighty eight. That was Simon Barnett's big break, that bloke. I thought it was going to be my break. My break came a little bit while later. I was, I was a local reporter for the Waikato Bay of Plenty for Telethon. Loved it. Had a ball, the old big night, yada, hanging out with John Hawksby, woo, you know, and nothing happened. I went, oh, bugger. And then the guy that my producer had been there went to work for Sky, rang me one day, said, hey, I want you to come and voice a promo. How much? I said, how much? He goes, 300. I said, forget that. Give me an audition. It's the only time in my life I think I've made... Give you an audition for what, though? Be on telly. Did they have... So they only had one guy, a guy called Richard Simons, uh, who was starting out, but they they hadn't actually launched then. They actually hadn't launched... Right, so this was pre-launch day. No, because m- my earliest memories of Sky were just simply watching NRL and watching Manly. Always remember yep, Daryl Williams, Williams running out for Manly. Um, but I never remember Sky in those early years having a lot of other so, so, products and, and people fronting it and people driving it like an anchor. Well, so 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 I do get the audition and straight away um, I'm, they say, this guy's got it, which is nice, right? You've got to back yourself. Yep. And they put me doing uh, the local... Called Reinick Basketball League with Correct, John yeah. Divick had the best time. So introduced to Telly. Then later that year, uh, late nineteen ninety, they offered me the full time gig to go and do uh, replace the guy they had doing the NRL, and that's where it started. But it, you have to come right back to May 18, 1990, because that's I was I was there right at the beginning. That was the thing called the fir- the opening shot, the very first time Sky officially. Sport are launched on air because we had CNN. That was the big one, right? So we had CNN first Gulf War. That's what I remember about being in the early years of Sky. We had CNN and we we're opening the world up to New Zealand, and then we had the NRL. The NRL built Sky to a point, right? The Sky was built on the NRL. The Winterfield Cup at that stage. So eight May eighteen ninety nine was the opening shot. I was there. Whoa, you know, big hair, big shoulders, whole nine yards, and that's where it began. And that was what Runic Basketball. Yeah, Runic Basketball League. Yeah, it was it was a blast. You know, it didn't and then everything evolves from there. And it just naturally evolved from there. Yeah, completely. Twelve minutes after eleven, my guest in studio is broadcaster Stephen McIver, a spotlight hour. I've got some texts that have come in. I'm just gonna hold on to those texts <laughs> at the moment because I think they become a little bit more relevant as we do get right. into this interview. They're footy, they're footy texts, right? They are footy texts. Okay, fine. Uh, but we are looking back on the life and times of Stephen McIver, and I just want to reiterate this. Stephen is still very active in the media, and I've got to say I loved him yesterday getting back to his roots and <laughs> it was a cameo, mate. Fronting, cameo. fronting. Cameo. Uh, the Warriors build up coverage and half time coverage. It is 12 minutes after 12. Something slightly different this afternoon here on Easter Monday in studio. Uh, my spotlight hour is with broadcaster Stephen McIver. You often see a lot of people on television fronting them. You don't necessarily. 
know a lot about them. And therefore, sometimes you can have perceptions that are not necessarily always accurate. Sometimes they're 100% accurate. What I will say <laughs> is with Stephen McIver, he is a class act. He is one of the best broadcasters in the country, and his CV is simply remarkable. We've just been talking about the advent of Sky in the early 1990s. Um, and so I'm going to jump forward here. Yeah, yeah. You talked about growing up in Patararu. Yeah. Stephen, you have done... The opening of an Olympic Games, yeah, uh, and and that was in uh, London, two thousand and twelve. Yeah, I know, man. I mean, do, will you, do you sit there and go, "How am I doing this? I'm just a young man uh, who grew up in Patararu." Do you have those no, moments? No, no. But I, I look at it from a professional perspective, and I've always looked at the Olympic Games as the Everest for a broadcaster, particularly if you get to commentate an opening and closing ceremony. I did it with my good mate, Lavina Good. Uh, she's just the best. In fact, she was in uh, Tokyo doing uh, calling biathlon and, and skiing and stuff like that. And I was having a chat to her last night. The opportunity to sit in a stadium, and, and I think when I, and I've covered a few Olympics, London was that was by far and away one of the, the one of the best opening ceremonies, and people think of television life's glamorous. It really isn't. We were sitting in, in a little box, you know, a little commentary position in the stadium, which was called outdoors, amongst probably twelve hundred other broadcasters behind us. You look back about twenty rows, and there's NBC, the American broadcaster that literally owned that whole half of the part of the stadium with their, their, their presenters, their commas on and yards. But to do that, yeah. Uh, I would, and even the closing ceremony. I got a little, I get a little fanboy because you know the late George Mike was there, Spice Girls were there. They had, they had it all. They had it all. And I remember going to the, the pre-game ceremony uh, media conference with, what's the guy who directed it? Danny. Oh, anyway, great American, uh, Austro- British director, and just listening and going, wow. That's when I thought, oh, this is okay. This, this is all right. You know, we've got a, we've got a movie director doing this thing, and I'm going to be calling it. I, I think we, I think we. We make a big deal of it because we're broadcasters. I don't think necessarily think people who are listening or watching think it's a big deal, you know, but yeah, w- w- because but I, we, we get very involved in it. I'll, I'll say this. But, 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 for me, from a professional perspective, hmm. that, was an, that was an Everest I had climbed and gone, you know what, if I don't do anything else now, I can say – because I'd called Delhi beforehand, the opening and closing games of the Commonwealth Games, and I'd done the opening and closing at Vancouver, the Winter Olympics. But that was done in a, in a, in a studio. Delhi was done in a stadium. Vancouver done in a studio somewhere in Vancouver by the water. But being in London, that was, that was a big deal. So professionally, yeah, five-star, until, <laughs> dare I say it, until I did the America's Cup. <laughs> Last year, <laughs> and that went, oh, okay. And, and I do want to come back to that because yep. a lot of people might not be aware of this. The global feed, uh, Stephen was heavily involved with the America's Cup and is technically the official archive of that last America's Cup staged here in New Zealand, which in itself, um, as I said, no one can ever take that away. No. When people go back and reflect on the history of the America's Cup, it'll, has one of his, it'll be his voice or one of the voices associated with that. Uh, Stephen, I just want to go back to those first early years of Sky Television because when I think of Sky Television back in the early 1990s. They didn't have the rugby at that point. It was very much the NRL. Yep. Was, was there a strategic direction? Did the, was there a vision of where they wanted to go that know. was communicated no, to you? No, not at all. Not at all. We just, it was rock and roll, baby. It was rock and roll because we were the underdog because TBNZ uh, still had the rugby. They had this, they had that. And so we were the new kids on the block and they didn't like it. 
and we were we were the you know we were the we were what you'd call early disruptors, mm. and it was it was a bold move. And then, but they that was losing money. Everybody knew it was losing money, and then they made this incredibly bold move to buy rugby, and that was like you're kidding, right? And they did it. They bought rugby, and that changed, that kept, well, it saved the company. Yeah, going back though, like yeah. NRL. As I said, I always remember the Manly days and um, watching the likes of Daryl Williams and that wonderful Hoskin and that wonderful sort of Manly side. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that seemed almost seemed to be our team at the time. A, a couple of things in terms of game changes, in terms of increasing the interest of NRL and therefore driving people towards Sky, even though they're losing money. How big was Matthew Ridge in terms of changing the popularity here? In New Zealand. Matthew Ridge, Terrell Halligan, Paul Simonson, uh, you know, the former two Waikato boys, one who's now a, probably a policeman or detective in Sydney. Which but there was that documentary, wasn't there, on yeah. Ridge going across? Yeah, huge, then- huge. Oh, massive. Massive, because Matthew was an all black, sort of. Played three games. Yeah, sort of. I'll call him sort of an all black. Uh, but he had everything that was required at the time to draw people to a sport, and that was personality. And attitude and sheer ability, and he could polarize people, which you need to have, isn't it, Stephen? Well, because, he, no, I say this: he, 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 only, polar, he only polarized people in his television stuff. As a player, he probably polarized himself against other players, right? Mm. Because he was so damned confident. I don't look so arrogant, confident, but what he could do that no one else could do, he backed it up with ability. Now, a lot of people can talk the talk. They don't walk the walk. He could do it all. But he was a point of view that New Zealand could be proud of. The other one was Graham Lowe. Lowy, yeah, and and Lowy continues to this day to be a great proponent of the game of rugby league because he he could understand how big the Australian competition was and also understood when it finally eventuated how important it was to have a New Zealand team in the comp. Which is the next question I want to bring up in terms of another momentum shift in terms of driving the product. Let's talk (laughs) about the Warriors coming into the NRL. Uh, Crazy because I spent the first so that they came in what 1995, right? And I spent that first two years beforehand following around Ian Robson, like the pie, he was like the Pied Piper, the first CEO. And look, he had his critics. I don't care what anybody says about him, I, I know Ian pretty well, he's still a mate. You know, we don't talk frequently, but once in a while. And Ian's ability to capture an audience and create a vibe was unparalleled at the time. He would walk into rugby clubs and have people salivating, saying, when can I buy a Warriors jersey? On his, literally on his own, Ian Robson created the Warrior vibe. Yes, they bought players, and I think they made huge mistakes. John Money, great guy, wife Julie, fantastic. Uh, But they, they probably went around the wrong way. But in saying that, Ian Robson can single-handedly put the Warriors on the map, and he should always be re- – that, that for me, that's a huge legacy. It, we, did you realise at the time, too, that the NRL was also building brand Stephen McIver? Because a big part oh. of that, too, was Stephen McIver and Peter Ropo Ropati. Yeah, yeah. That was part of the package. That was part uh, of the narrative. Well, that was only came around with the Warriors. Remember that? So I, for, for, until the Warriors came around, I was hosting uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on my own. And then we had the old guest here and there. I had not look. Let's be brutally honest. I had people going, "Who the hell is this guy? What the hell do you know about rugby league?" Absolutely nothing. 
I had to learn from the ground up. But as a good broadcaster, you learn from the ground up. You don't pretend that you're an expert. You research, you do your facts, and you do your best, and hope, hopefully along the way you suddenly get things going. So that's that's how it built. And then Ropo came along. We had the best times ever uh, and had fun because we both knew the key to good tele- sports television is entertainment. So if you take yourself too seriously, don't bother coming. When did you actually realise that? Hey, I, I actually really do love the game of rugby league. I'm not just fronting yeah. it, but I actually do love the game of rugby oh, league. You know when? You know when? It would be... It would be... I think it was actually the, around the time when the Warriors were roaring. You know, they celebrated 20 years of the grand final yesterday in their match, you know, with the Chocks. 2002, 2001, 2002, I started to really get into it. And I'd been there long enough, right? Seven or eight years, and I started to think, I like this game. I like the people around it. For me, rugby league people make the difference to a game itself. And that's why I'm like, yeah, no, I like this. And I was doing a lot. I mean, I was doing a lot. I mean, I, mean, I did rugby. You got to remember, I did rugby for about... <laughs> Four or five years prior to then, you know, being pushed away because they knew I didn't really like rugby. Yeah, I, I, look, I remember turning up to Mount Smart and watching you in action, and Peter Sterling was over here from Australia. Mm. Did, did did you feel that you earned the respect of the Australian broadcasters who no. possibly who possibly felt that there was really no room for New Zealand? This is our game. No, what do you no, guys they, know they, about they it? They maintain that to this day. Don't get me wrong. But in Channel Nine, do I have very good relationships with the Fox guys, and they're good people. Channel Nine always had that, you know, they're <laughs> a bit like the old TVNZ thing. You know, look at us. You know, we're, we're kings of the cast. We remain to be so. Uh, no, I don't. I don't need to earn the respect of other broadcasters uh, offshore. You earn respect by doing a good job. A strong job, and you know, doing doing what you doing something you love because, as you have always portrayed to me, passion is one thing, but how you deliver that passion is the key. Mm. It is twenty five minutes after twelve. If you've got any questions for Stephen McIver, the text number here, uh, Temper Beard Post double eight double three. You can text us through those questions. Um, the relationship between you and. Peter Ropati. Yeah. It, it was a good relationship. It was a great away. relationship. He was my best man. And that that relationship had to come to an end in terms of television. How was that? Was that a tough time in your broadcasting it was ugly. career? It was, yeah, not very nice. Not very nice. But you move on. And Peter moved on. And you know, in all honesty, we didn't talk for a couple of years. Uh, there was no nothing between him and me. We just didn't talk for a couple of years. And then we just reconnected and life back to normal. Uh, he, one thing about Peter you, could, you couldn't deny is that is he's a good man. He's a good man. He knows rugby league. He came from a very strong rugby league family. Uh, a very intelligent man. Good footballing brain. But more, more than anything, and this is why we had such a good relationship, we had fun. It's got to be fun. Television's got to be fun. You, can, we, we, you know, we, you can't fall into this trap of just going, you know, robots, robots doing this, blah, blah, blah. You've got to have, you've got to entertain people. People need entertaining. They don't want to switch on the telly and go, I'm not having fun here. Like you have to high level of engagement. You have to you have to be you have to be a personality to a point. You have to take put a mask on and go a little bit outside your comfort zone and do stuff. But you've got to entertain them. But you entertain them the right way, not the wrong way. Mm. Okay, a couple of texts that yep. have come in, Stephen. Um, ask Stephen McIver, who is his favourite commentator growing up in New Zealand? And that comes from Jason in Marulanbark in Melbourne. Thank you for the text, Jason. Much appreciated. Uh, uh, growing up in New Zealand, <sighs> cripes. 
Well, I didn't, well, I wasn't. See, I wasn't really a rugby guy, so it didn't really matter that, that sort of thing. Gro- if, if I take it a step further, always loved listening to Martin Tyler in oh, pre- fo- football, right? In football, Martin Tyler, love uh, the man, love the man, and then Ray Warren, and, and oh. Ray Warren, uh, who is probably in his final year or years of calling footy, he's not doing a hell of a lot now for nine, but Ray Warren has this ability to spark you into life in, a, in the blink of an eye. One minute there's just a normal play going on, next minute there's something brilliant and he's taking you with you. Mm. It's like being on a roller coaster. He'll take you at the top and then he'll just bring you down nice and slowly and then get you yeah. going again. And, and, a, and a, a succinct broadcaster too. Doesn't overtalk it. You, the best broadcasters in the world Sometimes the broadcasters that don't say a lot. Yeah, there's that saying, isn't it? Let it breathe. And it's oh, interesting because yeah. the old school, very much the mantra these days, yabby, yabby, we yabby, tend to yabby, go the little yabby, bit more yabby, the American yabby, yabby. way where you feel like you've got to fill every uh, gap. Oh, yeah, I'd, 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 oh, oh, I'd, I'd question that, but I know what you're saying because if you listen to a lot of the, the – I watch a lot of NFL now, right? I love NFL. And I watch listen to the Fox guys and Fox – Maintain a very what you would term old school approach. They 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 let things they let things breathe, and that's the most important mm. thing. Um, and you know what? I always say this: don't blame the commentators; blame those that are producing them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, I don't think enough of that goes on these days. See, I, I look at it too with a good commentator, and it's a hard one. It's subjective; doesn't matter who you oh, are. Some people oh, are going to yes. like you; some people don't like. I don't like Peter Jury, who seems to be the voice these days of a lot of English yeah. Premier League. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I just don't like the sound of his voice. But I look at it like this: the product is the masterpiece. It's the Mona Lisa. And if you want to further enhance that, you need to put it in a gold frame and put it under the right light, and that's the job of your commentary team and yep. your presenting team. Completely. No, 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 never a true word spoken. Uh, being a commentator comes with its ups and its downs. I mean, I did it for – I called the Warriors for one year and got hammered and, and lasted a year. Uh, you talk about lows. That was tough. Y- 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 but, y- hey, when I look back, if I was brutally honest with myself, brutally honest with myself – I actually sort of knew I wasn't a great, great rugby league commentator, and I and I understand why, and that's okay. But hey, got to call a grand final, got to call at Wembley in the Four Nations that year, so <laughs> ticked a few boxes. I heard the two twenty eleven final back and went, yeah, nah, McIver, not that flash. <laughs> yeah, but Stephen, the one thing I've learned in this game, and I think it's really important, a lot of people don't understand it. You're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you think you are. But yeah. this is a, yeah, what a, a lot of people don't understand. This is a brutal game, isn't it, Stephen? You can look at it and go, look at the glamorous life, but particularly it's now, it's got even worse these days with social media. It's, got, it's not glamorous. It, it, is brutal. You can get ripped to shreds yes, out there, and if you uh, don't have a thick skin and you don't have the experience, this thing can beat you up and send you into a downward yeah, spiral. Yeah, and, and, and social media is pushed so hard by broadcasters nowadays that it's a must win, and I, I dabble in social. I do a bit of social media promoting, and t- 90% of the social media I do on Instagram um, and Twitter, which I just link to my Instagram because I've learned how to link it, uh, is work-related, just promoting the work we do, and that's it. Mm. So I keep my personal life out of it. Um, yeah, just on that though, Stephen, I mean, um, you do have to humanise yourself in this game. You do have to let a little bit of yourself out at times. Oh, do, yeah. do you feel you've done enough of that over the years? Do you think, well, I think do, so. do, do you I, think that people have a fair perception of you? Well, I, if, uh, really, you know, what people think about me and my personal life's my business. If I do that, that's up to me and what comes with it, then I'm accountable for what happens. I don't need to humour I think in my – hey, I've lasted to this point 32 years. I'm still going, right? Uh, if I haven't done my job, then I won't be here, wouldn't be here. 
28 minutes away from one. You're listening to SENZ. Now, just a reminder, between one and two, um, we are talking rugby. We're talking referees. We've got two outstanding officials in studio, and you can ask your questions of them on 0800 150 But this hour, my guest is Stephen McIver. We're looking back on his career as a broadcaster and what his plans and hopes are in regards to going forward. Yeah, Stephen McIver is my guest in studio, uh, looking back on his career thus far, and it's been an outstanding career from having um, been really um, on the cusp of the evolution of Sky Television, was there from day one with the evolution of Sky Television, has also called uh, the opening ceremony of Olympic Games and Winter Olympics, and most recently um, being the international voice and anchor for the America's Cup when it was staged here in Auckland. Let's talk about that, wow. Stephen. I mean, we all grew up. Wow. We watched the America's Cup, 86, 87, PJ Montgomery, mm-hmm. who, who, in my opinion, was responsible for really capturing New Zealand with the enthusiasm and passion that he brought to that. And you go right through it. And again, you're the boy from Patararu. Did you ever think you would end up calling an America's Cup that you would be involved in arguably the biggest sporting event perception-wise here in New Zealand? No. Full stop, no. Uh, when I got the call about us... January of, when was the last ASB Classic? January of 2019. January of 2019 or 2020? January of 2020, I got the call. Hey, um, this is happening. Would you like to uh, apply? I went, oh, okay. Had to send my CV to Germany um, and then uh, get signed off by Grant. And Bob's your auntie, that was it. I'm in. I'm going, uh, oh, Okay. Uh, right, okay, America's Cup, sailing. Well, how much do you know, Stephen? Probably stuff all. So I'm a good mate, Peter Lester. Hopper, he lives just around the road. Spent two sessions, about a couple of hours, going through stuff. And then I was blessed with having argued one of the best producers I've ever worked with, and a guy called Leon Sefton, who's done... Be- be- best yachting producer in the world, bar none. Well... F- Olympics, a whole lot. When you talk about leaders, right, when you talk about leadership, we're all big on, you know, you can look at LinkedIn, you look at all the stuff about leadership and this, that and the other. He was the epitome of 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 the perfect leader. He knew exactly what he was getting with me, right? He was getting a good broadcast. I don't mind saying that. No, you but, are. You're but, an accomplished but, broadcaster. But he, but if you don't sell have, yourself in this game, no but one but else he, does. But he didn't, he didn't have a broadcast that was yachting savvy and the nuances of yachty, yachting. But... The confidence that he portrayed, not just to me, but uh, Kenny Reid, who'd done a number of them already. Kenny Reid, who's the ex-American magic skipper who'd been here twice and is the president of North Sales, which had mm. every boat bar American magic, their sails on the boat. And then he had uh, Nate, got Nathan Outeridge, who's now coming to Team New, Emirates Team New Zealand. And then Shirley. Uh, it was he, – he created this team environment that – Bar none is probably one of the best I have ever, ever worked in. And it was a revelation, complete and utter revelation for me. And I put so much pressure. He knew I would walk out of the, 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 the port of com every day going, ah, oh, bugger, 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 did this wrong, did this wrong. You get, look, no, you didn't. But let's look at this. Meetings every morning, uh, really calm and relaxed, dealing with the politics of the America's Cup in his position. It was a multi, multi-million dollar operation, that broadcast, right? Multi-million dollar operation. And... We broadcast through YouTube out of New Zealand. We broadcast all major linear broadcasters as well, right? The Italians had their own commentary team back there, but we were it. So we were the, as in the industry is known as, we were the host broadcasters. And I had the job of steering the ship. And I, 
The key to that one was knowing my role, yeah, I, steering the ship. I, I was going to say that the biggest temptation when you come in, and I've, we've all made the mistake, I've made the mistake, is thinking you know it. You never and, made that mistake, and, and, I'll be no, honest with no, you. No, no but, but I'm saying your experience at this point in your career allows you to know where those parameters are in terms of saying, you know what, I know a little bit, but the guys next to me know a lot more, so my job is to lead them in. And, and not try and be the expert. Correct. It's always been my mantra. Yep. And then I had a really good team, and Kenny and I got on super well. And Nathan, was he was a joy to work with. They were all really cool. And they knew they knew where I was coming from, and I just hoped I did the job right. Uh, it was an amazing experience and time, and I'm very grateful for it. Stephen, when I came into this um, industry, and that was sort of really only really sort of about 2008 properly, I'd been dabbling in a whole lot of other things, but in terms of really trying to say, hey, I want to mm. you know, make my mark. I always remember Brendan Telfer, a really good broadcaster, saying to me, Mark, look, your career is going to be almost like a wave. You're going to have highs where you think you're on top of the world and nothing's ever going to change, and then you're going to go into incredible lows where every, the phone you think is never going to ring. And it's been, he's been one hundred percent correct. One hundred percent correct. How? What's been the lowest point for you, and how did you deal with it? Losing the footy calling. That was tough, was it? That was horrible. Yeah. What? Did you just feel embarrassed? What, what, I was, what? yeah, I was embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, I was embarrassed that I wasn't good enough after a year. And when you go, when you last a year, you go, oh, well, I've failed in that, haven't I? Hmm. And so that was, yeah, that was really tough. That was. Well, apart from being knocked out in 59 seconds by Clint Brown in a fight for life, that didn't help as well. Uh, no, um, that was tough because when you're a perfectionist like me, you um, you expect that you will learn or be given the opportunity. And look, you just take, you, you roll with it, right? You roll with it and you go, okay. And I think I said to you before, I sort of knew, I sort of knew it wasn't rugby league mm. commentary wasn't me mm. okay and I and I so I sort of came to terms with that but that was tough because I and I I know why I know why I, I overthought it I tried too hard way too hard and just didn't sit back it's and, interesting and isn't and it because in product. the commentary game it's yes you it, like anything there are some basic conventions that cover it but at the end of the day you still got to be you yeah and I don't think I was and I don't think I was built. You're trying for to fit it. a stereotype, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had, you know, I had that Rabs idea in my head. That's how you do it. I just didn't deliver it. Would I have been better with another chance? Maybe. Didn't get the chance. Move on. And as things have transpired, I've had the opportunity to do other things, and and that's fine. Uh, but it was that was that was a, yeah it was a really low point. Uh, so you move on, you know. You got as you say, got to have a thick skin. It takes a toll, though. Trust me, it takes a toll. Oh, absolutely. And I do say that to people: be careful what you wish for if you are wanting to get into the media. <laughs> Seventeen minutes away from one o'clock. Uh, Stephen McIver is my guest in studio. You can text us here on double eight double three. Got some really good texts that have come, and we'll get to those shortly. You can also phone the program if you do want to ask Stephen a question: oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. My guest certainly has a face for television. <laughs> Stephen McIver with you. Hey, Stephen, uh, do you prefer TV commentary or radio commentary? Have you done any radio commentary? Never. Never? No, I, I, like, I, like, I like the big show. I like TV. It's well, good what, fun. What is a medium, though? Do you enjoy radio or television more? I'll have both, thanks. Yeah. Uh, radio is where my roots are. That's where I yeah. came from. Yeah. 
and I work here on SENZ sometimes too, and I, I love it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you that because we just talked about be careful what you wish for. We know how cutthroat yep. and how brutal this industry is. Often you can be on the biggest high or the biggest low, and there's often not a lot in between. There's yep. a lot of disappointment. You almost feel like at times you're that actor waiting for a gig. Yeah. And for me, I think as a commentator when you're at the Olympics, it's that fear of failure. It's that that provides me that rush. You're on that edge. You've got that it's global addictive. audience. What is the addiction for you? Because it is addiction. The red light. The red light. Red light, red goes, light on. goes on. Bing. And that's the addiction. Top, top, you know, um, what, what did you start the hour with? Uh, Robbie Williams, let me entertain you. That's my addiction. That's my addiction. I, and I, can, I can't get enough of it. But if I don't get enough of it, you think about what else you can do. And, and so radio is another, another form of that too. But, yeah, I love it. Uh, uh, Steve has texted. And Steve, he's saying Stephen McIver, um, let me just bring that up. Stephen, uh, one thing I really like about the NRL is the tribalism yeah. and its history. Yeah. As a rugby fan, it drives me crazy, the idea of trying to sell these franchises as clubs. Has rugby completely lost the plot by tampering with the comp over the years? He preferred the product when it was just Super 12, and it had Auckland Waikato Wellington in front. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have this theory that no one, no one believes would ever work, was that uh, the provincial competitions should be semi-professional or professional, like it have, uh, they have that Premier League in England, right? And, and that should be our competition. You have one competition that runs head-to-head with the NRL. And you have like a twenty-eight week competition. You almost you almost mirror the competition, right? And that becomes your professional comp because this Super Rugby, uh, I think, is, is is struggling. But people still love it. You got to remember, everybody's got an opinion. They're like bums, right? People still love their Super their their Rugby, but I just think there is little. You're only going to get tribalism from that small percentage. You'll get a for me. You get a greater tribalism if you bring it closer to home. Hence my idea about the provincial competition, the provincial competition, the provincial competition being a professional competition. What have you? What's what do you want to do going forward in the future? Do you, is there still goals and ambitions? I mean, you're an outstanding broadcaster. There's always going to be. Um, those never had a plan, Mark. Never there you had go. a plan. Never had a plan. Was is 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 it a bad thing? Could be a bad thing. I don't know. I'd like. Okay, so okay. I cross my fingers. I'd like to do an America's Cup in Barcelona. I've never been to uh, Barca before, so I think that would be fun. But. You know, it's up to the up to the gods to decide if they want to keep the team together or try go again differently. That would be fun. The way that the media is evolving uh, these mm. days, so many different platforms, so many digital platforms, yeah. and you know, a lot more people, younger people, particularly coming home, saying Netflix is the default setting or getting themselves on YouTube. Have you kept up with the evolution, and yeah. how does that affect your thinking going forward? Well, it doesn't affect my thinking. You have to if you don't evolve in this business. You're done, right? YouTube is enormous for, for kids, right? But I think you've got to be, we've got to be really careful as to who are we targeting, particularly in sport. I've got mates that are 30, right? They love Sky Sport. They love it. And they're consuming it. But they'll also go and consume content in a different way. They'll pick up their phone and get the sound bites or whatever, or the, or the, you know, the grabs, the, the small content grabs. It is – it's – you know what it is? It's how it's sold. It is, yeah, I was going to ask you that. So do you think the television going forward, let's just use the word television, yeah, yeah, yeah. do you think it's still personality driven or is it now just got to be content driven or are they one and the same? Well, it comes to scale, doesn't it? How much talent do you have around? 
in America, the big the, the, in America, it is still a multi-billion-dollar business, and they just have offshoots running their social content, the whole nine yards. But they're still running what I would the, the, what we call linear television, normal TV, big productions, big shows, big talent, highly paid talent. We're a country of five million people. People tend to forget that. Everybody needs a coach. Do you have a coach? Do you have a couple of people you go to? Do you? How, how do you? How do you? No. Do you critique yourself? Uh, yeah, normally straight after as I walk out and kick a, kick a can or get angry at myself. That can't be healthy. Uh, no, but it's about perfection and trying to strive to do. You never do the perfect show, but you should always always be pushing yourself to be better all the time. Um, yeah, Chris Berman from Sports Centre. I, I, Wonderful. I, I, modelled, I modelled my stuff on him uh, because he's got a mask, right? He's this big, overt character. And I sort of hoped that maybe I could add, I've added a little bit of that personality into my delivery of the, what I do. But no, I don't. Um, have my, you evolved as a broadcaster? Are you, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I have. What would you tell yourself if you could go back thirty years to Stephen Mackay, nineteen ninety? What would be what would be your advice? <laughs> Slow down when you're talking. I'm one of the fastest talkers going around. That I watch myself and go, no, I'm oh, the fastest. Mackay, well, would, would have a good test then. Uh, that would be a good one. And not get not get so in, embedded in it that there was nothing else. Uh, I'm not sure if your parents are still alive, Stephen. But uh, mamas, yeah. Uh, uh, were they proud of you and what you've done? I think so. Yep, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't look for I don't look for that sort of gratification. And you've got you've got um, kids that are now almost out of home. And yeah, yeah, they are. And, and I suppose my biggest critic would be Maria, my wife, and and she's and for all the right reasons, she will tell me didn't like that. Didn't like that. Didn't like that. And that was it. That's it. Doesn't take any further. But it's a huge rock too. Incredibly, incredibly grounded, and and, and it makes me realise that it's just a job. It is just a job. Well, it's a bit which, like of which I'm grateful for. And you're very good at it, but it is interesting, isn't it? Because you can, in this game, take yourself way too seriously if you're not careful. And then I always just get those little reminders with my wife working at medical. You see the heart surgeon and the brain surgeon who goes in there, <laughs> who tries to save some little child um, or parents, and you go, they're the nearest thing to God on earth we've got. They walk down the street. No one knows who they are. I sit here on the radio talk, or I might appear on the telly. Get over it. You know all our job is to do is to get them from A to B to C to D and make them smile and make them feel good. That's all it is. We're like clowns when you think about it. A clown can make you smile. A clown can take you somewhere that you haven't been before. And I don't say that sort of disrespectfully about what we do as broadcasters, but it's a very simple thing to remember. Someone's got to walk away going, hey, I really enjoyed that. That was fun, regardless of the result. Hey, those guys, they were good. Those guys and girls, what what a great team. That was fun. That's all we have to do. Stephen, just any advice for anybody listening to this, the young people that might be wanting to get into broadcasting? Yeah, real, real simple. Don't expect it all to happen now. Take your Do time. Do your time. Pay your dues. Pay your dues. I don't care what anybody says. And if they learn think that's how old to school. lose before you learn how to win. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Stephen McIver, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, <laughs> big fella, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. There Weird. You go. Weird. From Pataruru, but it just shows it doesn't matter what small town in New Zealand you come from. If you've got a dream, if you've got the talent, you're prepared to sit down, apply yourself, you can get there.
Stephen McIver, case in point, a wonderful broadcaster, big influence on me. Hope you did enjoy that hour. Coming up between one and two, we are talking refereeing, we are talking rugby. The lines are open on 0800 150 811. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit website of stuff.com.